perennial crypto backdoor debate. D-Link pays the price for weak security. And the state of medical device security today. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. It's a debate that just won't go away. Should governments have back doors built into strong encryption to stop criminals and terrorists from going dark? Or does this open a Pandora's box of privacy infringement? Politico reported that the deputy heads of multiple US government agencies gathered before a White House National Security Council meeting to discuss whether the Trump administration should push for new legislation that would require technology firms to only use weak encryption for messaging applications. For more on this story, here's ISMG's executive editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz. Faster than you can say end-to-end encrypted messaging, it looks like the debate over our right to use strong encryption has once again returned. On one side of the discussion are mathematicians, who say that encryption comes in two forms, strong or weak. Strong encryption protects us all. That can include everything from our online voice and video communications, to our bank account details, to corporate intellectual property and trade secrets stored in the cloud. By contrast, weak crypto, which includes any system that allows for backdoor access, puts us all at risk. But some officials continue to push for weak crypto. Politico reports that last week, the deputy heads of multiple U.S. government agencies gathered at a White House National Security Council meeting to discuss whether the Trump administration should push for new legislation that would require technology firms to only use weak encryption for their messaging applications. What's the risk? Going dark. That's how law enforcement and intelligence agencies describe their inability to eavesdrop on end-to-end encrypted communications. In other words, suspects in an investigation centering on child abuse, terrorism, drug trafficking, or any other type of criminality might be using communications techniques on which investigators cannot easily eavesdrop. The National Security Council advises the president on national security matters and coordinates policies across government departments. The good news is that the gathering of the NSC's deputies committee, three unnamed people with knowledge of the meeting told Politico, does not appear to have resulted in any decision to change current policies, in part because the attendees were divided on how to proceed. One of the chief proponents for anti-crypto legislation was Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. But with his departure, the appetite for legislation meant to tackle the going dark problem has appeared to wane, Politico reports. But if the White House did attempt to outlaw strong crypto, what are the chances that it would be successful? Well, any attempt by Republican President Donald Trump to get Congress to pass such legislation would likely be opposed by many in the Democratic-controlled House. It's also likely they would favor the protection afforded by strong crypto rather than law enforcement requests to weaken everyone's crypto, just in case they want to listen in. So how do we get to the point where many Western governments regularly float the idea of making our collective security weaker? It's important to note that the availability of end-to-end encrypted messaging surged following former U.S. National Security Agency contractor Edward Snowden's leaks, which revealed that the U.S. and its Five Eyes spy agency partners were running a mass surveillance campaign that attempted to collect the communications of all non-Americans by monitoring technology giants' data centers. In response, technology firms began rolling out messaging apps that end-to-end encrypt all communications by default. That now includes Facebook's WhatsApp, 
Apple's iMessage and FaceTime, and other options also include standalone apps, such as Signal and Wicker. The US doesn't hold a monopoly on encryption technology. In 2016, for example, three security researchers found that there were a variety of options available worldwide. Cataloging encryption products, they counted 304 of US origin, 112 built in Germany, 54 in the UK, 41 in France, and 19 in the Netherlands, which, by the way, happens to be a very pro-encryption government. In other words, passing new laws won't magically stop the bad guys from procuring already available technology to encrypt their data or messages. Or in the words of cryptographer Matthew Green at Johns Hopkins University, if we outlaw encryption, then only ransomware developers will have encryption. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. In a proposed settlement this week, D-Link has agreed to pay up for bringing IoT devices to market that left consumers wide open to hacking, a move that should serve as a wake-up call for other device manufacturers in a sector that has been notoriously soft on security. Here's ISMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, Jeremy Kirk, with the details. D-Link has reached a proposed settlement with the U.S. Federal Trade Commission. The FTC alleged the IoT developer left consumers vulnerable to hackers through inadequate security practices. The terms of the settlement may serve as a warning to IoT makers. Experts say the industry has been plagued for years by insecure software development that has led to widespread botnets, hacking, and cybercrime. If the settlement is approved by a federal judge, D-Link will be required to develop a comprehensive software security program. It must also deliver firmware updates to devices that are capable of receiving those updates, as well as notify consumers when their devices will no longer get those updates. D-Link says it is pleased to reach an amicable resolution with the FTC and noted the settlement doesn't find it liable for any alleged violations. The FTC complaint was lodged in January 2017. The agency alleged D-Link failed to catch easily preventable security flaws such as hard-coded credentials and command injection flaws. The complaint also focused on D-Link's marketing practices, which the agency alleged violated the FTC Act. That act addresses deceptive acts and unfair competition. The agency alleged that D-Link marketed its products as secure when many of its devices contained software vulnerabilities, putting consumers at risk. However, the settlement does not include a finding of deceptive or misleading marketing. Under the terms, D-Link must maintain a software security program for 20 years with qualified employees overseeing it. It also must adjust how it develops its products from a security perspective. That includes threat modeling, using automatic static analysis tools for a pre-release code review, and conducting vulnerability testing before a product is released. Another widespread problem with IoT devices is that manufacturers eventually stop issuing security updates. Consumers are often unaware when their router, for example, is considered end-of-life. The FTC will require D-Link to provide clear and conspicuous notice to consumers who have registered a device that it will no longer receive firmware updates. If the proposed settlement is approved, D-Link must contact consumers who have registered their products and provide instructions for how to update their devices. Hopefully, in time, that will help improve the overall state of IoT devices. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Finally, one of the most talked about sessions of the ISMG Healthcare Security Summit held in New York last week was a panel discussion on the challenges of securing medical devices, including representatives from the Food and Drug Administration, device manufacturer Philips, 
and CISOs from Interfaith Medical Center and New York Presbyterian. Following the session, ISMG's SVP of Editorial, Tom Field, got to sit down with Jennings Oski, CISO of New York Presbyterian, to ask him about the state of medical device security and where it's going. Here's Jennings. Well, I think the State of the Union is much better than it was last year or even two years ago. I mentioned earlier today that I've been a CISO in healthcare since 2005, and at every step of the way I've been asked by the CEO or the leader of the organization, what kind of residual risk do we have? So we get the program going, and where are those outliers, where are the things that are hard to challenge or hard to address? And medical devices has always been on that list. And we're seeing this year, I think, real commitments from vendors or medical device manufacturers to implement security as part of their product roadmaps. They're being much more transparent and collaborative. And I think the healthcare delivery organizations are doing a better job of explaining both internally and externally what their needs are. As you look ahead to 2020, what progress do we need to see to know that we're moving significantly forward with this issue? Well, a couple things. Uh, we need to do software bill of materials or SBOM version 2.0. We need to keep refining that. We need to get to a point where it's done in a completely electronic manner and scalable. Um, there's initiatives we need to do around also what I'm calling a digital fingerprint, where basically this would be a technical specification that would allow um, device manufacturer to tell us how the device behaves on the network. And that's work that I've talked to uh, information security companies, talked to security leads for Siemens and Philips and other companies. And we want to convene um, a group this September to start working on this. And developing this as kind of the next standard to really transform how MDMs and HDOs kind of participate in the medical device security landscape. So Jennings, you participated on a panel today at our Healthcare Information Security Summit on this topic. And again, you were there with a representative of Philips, Suzanne Schwartz from the FDA. If there's one key message you want attendees to take away from that discussion, what would that be? I think the message would be for, and I'm going to focus on the healthcare delivery organizations. They need to be vocal. They need to have internal conversations with clinical leadership, hospital leadership, as to the importance of this issue. And they need to talk to their supply chain, talk to their vendors and say, we're not going to stand for you selling us Windows XP anymore. We're not going to stand for lack of software update mechanisms. And they need to develop mechanisms. And they can leverage mechanisms like the OWASP standard for medical device deployments to help them actually deploy these devices in a secure way. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.